Thank you for joining the Home Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at myhomechurch.org. Let me, let me share this. I, um, it's hard to really put into words what the Lord was doing to me personally this week in preparing. Um, very sobering. Very sobering. And it, it, there's, I feel like there may be in this a bit of a heaviness and not in a negative sense, but in just uh, an awe and a reverence and just being overwhelmed by the passion of Jesus because these next two weeks, what we're going to look at is actually unpacking these very elements and what they are actually speaking to. We've done a lot of speak of the fellowship of the table and so on and so forth, but today we're going to talk about the bread which represents the body that was broken for you. It was broken for you. There's no blessing without his body being broken, and it was literally pulverized for me and for you. The blood that was poured out, we'll look at that next week. And as we engage in this, I so strongly felt just the Lord. And I'm, I'm telling you, just lean into this because this has an ability. If we, if we just can really grasp, one, it'll change the way we come to the table. But two, it'll change the way we see Jesus' love for us. Three, we will see Jesus as the healer. I believe we're going to make contact with Jesus as the healer today. I really, really do. It's something that we're contending for. I'm personally, I'm offering myself up to the Lord for this because I know God has promised that I see it in his word, and I believe it. And, and I just, I really, I really sense we're going to walk through this. And I know that some have walked through some hard things. Death and sickness has crept at your door and has caused devastation in your family's household. And I'll speak into that as well, shepherding that. But man, I am so excited for what the Lord is going to do. So we're going to talk about the body today. You ready? Well, let's prepare our hearts for what the Lord is going to do here. Luke chapter 22, verse 19. I'm using this as, as just our starting point for this. And this is what Jesus is instituting the, the last um, the Last Supper, the Lord's Table, Holy Communion. He's with his disciples in the upper room. Remember the first week we shared, Jesus said, with desire I have desired to share this Passover meal with you before I suffer. Literally, Jesus knows suffering is coming before him, and yet the only thing that's really on his mind is I want to have a meal with my disciples. And in this place where he's having this meal, this is what it says regarding the bread. It says, and he took bread gave thanks and broke it, gave it to them. This was all last week. How many were blessed last week with the order of Melchizedek? This is Melchizedek language. He's taking it, he's blessing it, he's breaking it, and then he gives. All we can do is receive his finished perfect work for us. And he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. My body's been given for you. And he says, do this in remembrance of me. Now, we're going to emphasize, where we're going is, is we're going to emphasize this first part of the scripture. However, it ends with saying something very important that I honestly I almost made it an entire message in itself. And that is that he says, do this in remembrance of me. Now, when we think of remembrance, and you have to hear this because I believe the Lord said to share this to stir faith for what's about to happen today. When we talk about remembrance, we often think of, especially with Lost, we think of maybe coming to a memorial stone or having a memorial day where we are reflecting. It's a mental exercise where we're reflecting and, and we're positioning ourselves to recall past memories. And although that is a part of remembering, our king is alive. This is completely different. So when he calls us into remembrance, it's actually something so beautiful that I want you to see. He, when, when, he, when he tells his disciples to do this, I want you to picture this. There, this is, you have to catch this. Jesus tells his disciples, basically, every time that you gather, let me move this out of the way so I don't kill myself when I get excited. <laughs> every time that you gather, I want you to come together and partake of this meal and do it in remembrance of me. You got that, right? Okay, in John, the Gospel of John, don't turn there, just listen. It's in the Gospel of John, chapter 20, Jesus, we find resurrected. He appears to Mary Magdala. And then it says in John chapter 20, verses 19 to 23, he comes to his disciples. You know where they are? They are together. Are they taking the meal, though? No, they have the doors locked in fear of the Jews because they're convinced Jesus is dead, and now they're probably going to be persecuted as well. Three days later, after Jesus said, guys, 
I'm going to die for you. This is my body. This is my blood going to be poured out. Do not forget this. Three days later, we forget. (laughs) As a result, they find themselves in a physical place where they're locked in in fear, but it's something deeper. It's spiritual. I believe it speaks to what happens when we forget the Lord's work. We get trapped in these places of fear and condemnation. So what does Jesus do? Jesus, in his grace and mercy, enters into that room. Probably didn't help that he passed through the door because they were in fear. But he enters in and he says, peace be with you. And do you know what he says next? He says, look at my hands. Look at my side. He says, look at my wounds. Do you know what we're doing at the table? Jesus is saying, gaze upon my wounds. Look at my hands. Look at my side. Look at my body that was broken for you. You don't need to stay in this place of fear anymore. You don't need to stay in this place of hopelessness anymore. So Jesus comes to them in his goodness, and, 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 and he says, look at my wounds, and they gaze upon his wounds. But listen to me, this is what's so beautiful. You know what it says next? It says, and then he says, and as the Father sends me, I send you. You know what he does? It then says he breathes on them. And he says, receive the Holy Spirit. As they are remembering his past wounds, as they're reflecting on his passion, there is an invitation to a fresh encounter with the Holy Spirit. When we come to this table... What Jesus is asking us to do is to position ourselves to gaze upon his wounds, to remember what he has done. And as as we do that and sit at the table, I believe the Lord wants to blow a fresh wind of the Holy Spirit upon us. And when that spirit comes and when he fills us freshly, it drives out fear. It drives out condemnation. It drives out confusion. You see, these elements, they're not just symbols. I'll speak more again next week on this. They're not just symbols. They are symbolic, but they're actually instruments of the Holy Spirit to encounter Jesus, to freshly encounter his body again. Not that he's being re-sacrificed, but we're applying our faith and trust in what he has done. And so as we encounter the body today, and do this in remembrance, Jesus is actually inviting us into a fresh encounter with the Lord. Remembrance at this table, because he is alive, is not, just to have, is not just to have an observance of something in the past. It's actually to say, Lord, I, I'm, I'm choosing to, to come here by faith, and as a result, I'm, I'm being invited into a fresh encounter with you this morning. As we reflect and remember his broken body, we're going to encounter the healer today. The healer. That's why I share that. Because we're going to talk about, we're going to remember his body that was broken. But he's not just saying to do that for the sake of saying, well, that's really nice what you did, Lord. No, he's saying, now I want you to encounter me today as healer. And as you sit at this table, you're going to feel the Ruach Numa winds blow on your face. And it's going to fill and touch every fear in your life. Every broken ligament, bone, everything that's in your body, he's a healer. I'll never be ashamed to speak of Jesus as healer. Not after what he showed me this week. Not, not after the way I've seen that he's laid down his life for me. Not after I saw the way his body was ripped open for me. He purchased it. And we're going to stand boldly with conviction that he's a healer. We're going to believe it today. So I want you to turn with me in your Bibles. I want you to go there. Isaiah 53. If you don't, you can look on the screen, but I want you to see this. Are you understanding how remembrance of this meal is different? It's an invitation to a fresh encounter. As they gaze on his wounds, he released the Holy Spirit. And he's going to do it again. Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 6. Now in Luke chapter 22, verse 19, it says that Jesus did this in remembrance. But here's the other thing. Listen, I told you, this is, I'm not saying, I'm not going to go into a place of detail for the sake of trying to stir up an emotion. We have to see what Jesus did so we understand the sufficiency of what he paid for. So we are going to get graphic into actually what happened to the body of Jesus so we will receive his passion and we will never again be afraid to pray for people to be healed. Ever again. 
In Luke 22, before the body is given, what happens? Before the bread's given, what happens? It's broken. There's no blessing without this being broken. You see, we, we think of bread, what do we think of? <laughs> Hawaiian rolls? <laughs> I'm thinking about a Hawaiian roll right now. Some butter. <laughs> Lots of butter. Super Bowl Sunday, probably some of us will have this. We think of that. We think of Wonder Bread. But this is, this is what they used. This is what they used. So when Jesus says, this is my body, broken for you, it'll look like this. As he said it, it was broken. I've made a mess. <laughs> but there would have been a moment where he said, this is my body, broken for you. And they would have received something in that moment. What he was actually saying. There's no hope without his body being broken. Next week, we're going to talk about the blood. We often celebrate the blood of Jesus. We can't overemphasize the blood of Jesus by any means. But what I do feel happens is we underemphasize the body. The body has to be broken so blood can come out. His body had to be pulverized so that the blood could flow for forgiveness of sins. We have to see it. There is redemption in his blood. But there is redemption in his broken body. 1 Peter 2.24 says he bore our sins where? In his body. His body has to be broken. And so what we're about to look at is Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah writes about the suffering servant. Jesus Isaiah, maybe more than all the other prophets, has some of the most beautiful language regarding Jesus when he comes. And he emphasizes the, the sin-bearing Messiah, the suffering servant who will come. And what we're going to look at is why Jesus' body was broken. And again, what I hope you see is his passion for you and the sufficiency that he took it all on. Look what it says about this. Is everyone there? Is it on here as well? Beautiful. Let me get one more drink so we can go. Verse 4 says this. Listen to what he says. He says, Surely he has borne, carried our griefs, and carried our sorrows. Holy Spirit, just pray with me. I pray that we would catch a revelation of your body, Jesus, that was broken for us. Lord, I can't be mustered up by me. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would touch us and reveal to us in a way that we've never seen Jesus before that he is the healer, and that he purchased healing in every way, Lord, in Jesus' name. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, meaning Jesus, the iniquity of us all. Which means, if there was one little sin, the holiness of God would require Jesus to go to the cross. But all of us have lived a life prior to Jesus of waywardness. The cost of that in its entirety, the summation of it, was put on Jesus. All of ours was put on him. He received that for him. Now I want us to look at what he did. Look at verse 4. Now we're going to break this open. He says, surely he has borne our griefs. Do you know what griefs mean? Griefs in the Hebrew is kali. Do you know what this means? Sin but it, specifically, affliction, sickness, disease, and affirmity. You can look this up. This is what he actually bore when it says he bore our griefs. He bore our sickness, our diseases, our affirmities, all of this. In other words, what it's saying is Jesus takes on our kali, 
all of the things that resulted from sin when it comes to the suffering of the human body, he puts it on himself in the form of taking on the curse. Why? So that now we're about to see in this progression that he will have his body literally mutilated to put it to death and redeem us and restore us to be able to pray for healing now. This is what he's done. So he carries this on himself. Look what it says in verse, uh, verse 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Wounded, pierced. You know what that is? That's external. So externally he was pierced. Bruised is internally. His body suffered externally and internally to deal with everything that we go through. He paid the price for every cell, every ligament, every muscle, every organ. His body literally, as we're about to see, was actually tormented internally and externally so that we can make contact with the bread of heaven and have healing. The hope of healing. This is the kingdom of God. And so verse 5, it kind of culminates with this powerful scripture it says, and by his stripes we were healed. He takes on our kali, our sickness, our infirmities, all of our afflictions, internally and externally. <laughs> he suffers deeply, and then finally it says, by his stripes we are healed. Do you know what stripes are? Stripes are the ribbons of flesh that came off of him when he was scourged by the Roman officers. Can you, can you put that picture up for me, Mark? I want everyone to see this. I want us to understand the sufficiency of what Jesus has done. <laughs> he didn't go to a cross first. Do you know that he was scourged first? This is how the Romans did it. They put him in a court. See, we picture Jesus on the cross with a loincloth to, to just try to preserve some dignity. The crucifixion was not only an act of torture but humiliation. In this culture... It was humiliating to be naked before your brethren. He was probably stripped bare naked. And then they put him on a pole like this. And a Roman officer came around with a, what is called a cat of nine tails. Cat of nine tails is not just a regular whip, although that would have been a, just bad enough. A cat of nine tails looks like this instrument right over here to the left. It has several whips on it. And at the end of each whip has sharp, sharp pieces of glass, sharpened bones, and sharp pieces of metal. And there was a Roman officer who came up as they put Jesus like this, tied to a pole, and began to whip him 39 times again and again. And every ribbon of flesh that came off was producing something. My friends, do you know that when he was being whipped like this, it was not in vain? He was interceding for you? Yeah. Not with his lips, but with his body? He was literally thinking of you, knowing that I have to go through this so that I can purchase healing for what sin has brought into this world. He literally was partnering and identifying with the depths of our brokenness and coming into the depths of our darkness and making a way to have healing today. So they would take him and they whipped him 39 times. Most people wouldn't even survive this. We say, well, that's because he's God. He's fully God, but fully man. He was not 50% man. He was not even 99% man, or else you wouldn't be man. You have to be 100% man to be fully human, which means he felt all of this. And when he was scourged 39 times, most people don't even survive this. Do you know why in Matthew 27 it says when he carries the cross, he collapses? Do you know why he collapsed? Not because the cross was heavy. His body was literally in shock. He was literally giving way. He was bleeding out from the scourging that he took right here first. Takes on all of our sickness and sin. And then they begin to just rip his flesh open. He was interceding for us. You know what, you know what medical experts say? They say this was mere child's play to what comes next. For now, they put him on a cross. You know how you die on a cross? It's the death of asphyxiation, suffocation. Here's what would have happened. They put you on a cross. You can put on another side. That's kind of bright in my eyes now. <laughs> they put you on a cross. They would have put Jesus. They put your nails right here. Put your nails in the side. Hung them up there. What happens when you are crucified is your chest is so 
so, there's so much pressure on your chest muscles, it locks your lungs into an inhale position. You cannot exhale. It is the most slow, agonizing, tedious, torturous death. And so he sits there, which means the way that Jesus would have to breathe for hours is he has to push himself up off of the nails in his hands and his feet. Go, and get another breath, and then he would have to go. And every time he pushes himself up, his open wounds on his back scrape up and down up against that cross. He does, this is why when it, when it came to the, to the two criminals next to Jesus, do you remember how they broke his legs, uh, broke their legs? Why? Because now you can't push yourself up to breathe. You die this death. You know what's interesting is that when they come to Jesus and they go to break his legs, they don't do it. Do you know why? They said he was already dead. Do you remember what they did? They put a, a spear in his side. And when they, when they put it through his ribs, do you remember what comes out? Blood and water. Now, there's deep spiritual meaning to that. But now, today, medical experts know the term of that is called pericardial effusion. What happens is when you suffocate, sacs of liquid begin to form inside of you by your heart which means that when you pierce someone who has died by suffocation, blood and water will flow out of them. He died by suffocation. He died on a cross like this. Internally, his body was ripped to pieces and externally as well. And you know what the crazy thing is? Is that he didn't have to go through this. He willfully chose to go to the slaughter. He willfully chose to be chastised, beaten, crushed, pulverized for us. You see, he could have died by drowning. He could have died by the fire. He could have died in a moment. But instead, he willfully took this on because he knew that he was purchasing something for us. This is the only way. I have to bear their sickness and their diseases and all of their ailments, and then I'm going to allow my body to be ripped open so that they can have healing. How can we not have conviction over this anymore? How can we not? How can we not contend for this anymore? How can we not stand in awe and say, my goodness, Lord, look what you have done. You know, Hebrews 12, 2 says that he endured the, the shame, the pain of the cross. You know why? For the joy that was set before him. You. Every lash, every breath he took on that cross, you were on his mind. I said, I'm going to go through this for him. You know why? Because we couldn't do it ourselves. This is the body that's broken. <laughs> this is the body that was broken. Do you know why the elements are bread and wine? Jesus is brilliant. I'm sure he knew that it would help us remember blood and body. But it's much deeper than that. It's because of the way that bread and wine are made. Wine is made out of grapes. Bread is made out of grain. Next week, we'll look at the wine, but in both cases, the grape and the grain has to be pulverized to make it. The reason he chooses this is because he's saying what he had to go through. The grain. Do you know how they made, do you know how they made bread in biblical times? First off, they would take the stalks. Are you guys following me? Listen, I know there's, there's, there's a heaviness to it, but we have to encounter this because we have to, I, I, what my hope, here's the Lord's, what I want the Lord to us to, uh, for us to see is that he took on all of this and then he thoroughly dealt with it. He thoroughly dealt with it so that we can come with confidence today to receive it. The way that they made green, uh, um, bread in the, uh, in the Old Testament, even the New Testament, is that they would take these uh, grains of, uh, of, of wheat they would have their stalks in their husk. They'd put them on, a, on the floor, and then someone would take a stick and begin to violently beat it to get the grains of wheat separated from the stalk and the husk. This is called threshing wheat. This is what Gideon was doing in the wine press, hiding out when God came to him and said, mighty man of valor. He was actually beating the stalks to get the grains of wheat out. It's so prophetic over what Jesus had to go through. Then they would take the grains that after the grains would come out, and they made flour. They had the flour. They would mix it with water, and they'd begin to knead the dough. They would knead the dough, kneading this intense pressure with the, all of your might, crushing that thing. That's what Jesus went through. And finally, they put it over the fire. Do you know, I have another piece here. I think this is fascinating. Jewish leaders, 
established this matzo bread recipe long before Jesus came. And I think it's so prophetic over what Jesus went through, it's not even funny. <laughs> there are three main characteristics on this piece of bread. Do you know what they are? One, it's striped. Two, there's holes in it. It's pierced. And three, it's burnt. He was striped, stripped of his flesh for our healing. He was pierced in his hands, in his feet, in his side with a crown of thorns. And then he was burnt under the fire of God's judgment for us, taking on the fullness of God's wrath for us. So that, so that we could have life. Come on, is that not amazing? When we come to partake of this bread, we have to see it like this. We have to see it rightly. And listen to me, I know that there are many in this room, and I, this, is, this is something I really want to speak into. I, I feel, I heard someone talking about this, and, and I feel that as, as the shepherd, I, I want to grow in, in shepherding us, and there are many in this room that I know have lost loved ones. Sin and death has come into your household, as I shared before. And I feel that as, as a church, I've heard it expressed in other ways at other times uh, at this way, and I think it's so good. We need to have compassion and conviction. Here's the reality is that some of us have lost loved ones. First of all, I want you to know that that actually fuels me even more to pursue after knowing Jesus as healer. And if you've experienced that, I want you to know there's nowhere else to... I can't even give you words, but come to the table and let the Lord minister to you over that. But listen to me. It's actually fueled me to want to go after him even more and know him in this way. Here's the, here's the, here's the reality is that even when we've lost loved ones, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says that, Paul says that all of, Jesus, all of Jesus' enemies are being put under his feet and the last one being death. The last one being death which means that even death is conquered by Jesus, which means even our loved ones who have died, guess what? We still win. <laughs> In fact, they're actually experiencing the fulfillment of this table right now with the Lord. So we celebrate and we have compassion and we minister to that. But here's the reality is that we cannot allow ourselves to not have a burning conviction for the now for Jesus to be healer. And this is what I feel in my heart. We have to contend for this. We have to know that Jesus prayed for the kingdom of God to come into the here and now. And that we know that if the kingdom of heaven is touching the now, we know that the kingdom of heaven produces and leads to people being touched and set free. And so we passionately, we passionately pursue this while walking with compassion for the situations that we don't understand always. But nevertheless, we still have a burning conviction to pray and contend for these things. I heard one, one person speaking, and it was just amazing. He said it was only a few hundred years ago. Do you know what the topic of debate was in the church? Whether or not you were really saved by grace alone. The church had become so corrupt and so, so uh, out of alignment with God's word that they were adding all these things that you need to do outside of just faith in Jesus. Even good things, baptism, all these things were necessary in order for you to be saved. But do you know what happened? There were a few individuals, a few pioneers, a few forerunners who were willing to begin to step out and be a voice of boldness. And they begin to say, no, we are saved by grace alone in Jesus Christ. And despite the ridicule they faced from within the church saying, you can't speak about this. They said, I don't care. We're going to step out and stand firmly on the word. And guess what? A few hundred years later, we never talk about that anymore. We are confident that we are saved by grace alone. I believe that God is raising up a generation of forerunners again when it comes to knowing Jesus as healer. And that I, I, could, I could give a rip anymore. Honestly, what the Lord has touched me this week, I could care less about people coming against. I, I, I'm just shocked that we have the body of Christ coming against Jesus as healer. Actually saying it's the work of the devil. We have people that even when they see healing, they're testifying, saying, well, let me just first start by saying, God always doesn't do this. Where in the world does someone testify when God raises someone from the dead or touches them, saying, hold on, let me just be very clear. Uh, I don't know how this always works. No. We speak boldly about Jesus. We have compassion when we, don't, when we walk things we don't understand. 
But we cannot back away from this. And I just feel the Lord is calling us to, to be a body collectively who will be a forerunner, who are willing to face all of the thought, you know, comments, whatever it may be, even from within the church to say, no, Jesus purchased this. Are you with me? Can I just share a few other things and then we're going to take this bread? All right. Can you put on 1 Kings chapter 19? First Kings chapter 19. Remember, this is in the context of that when we come to this table, we're remembering his body with the expectation of encountering Jesus in a fresh way right now. This is First Kings chapter 19, verses 5 and 6. Here's what I want to do in these last last few minutes, and then I just felt the Lord said to, to speak into this, again, stirring our faith, and then we're going to take this, and we're going to pray for those that have right now medical conditions. We're going to pray that as you take this bread. I can't tell you how many testimonies that I've been reading of people, when you approach this table rightly, they understood, just like you know how we lay hands. Remember I gave that example? It's not me. If someone gets healed by laying hands, it's not the person, but we know that it's an act of faith where Jesus is present in that moment. This is an act of faith where we're coming to touch the body, the bread of heaven. And when we look through the scripture and we see when man makes contact with bread from heaven, his life changes. 1 Kings chapter 19 is one of the most amazing portions of scripture with this. I've shared this story before. It's the, it's the, um, the portion of scripture with Elijah where, he, remember, he battles the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, calls down fire, right? I, I want to make sure everyone knows that. Or do I need to go through all that? No, right? So it's this amazing, it's this amazing moment where he, uh, Israel was, was just in a, a place of apostasy. And this man, a forerunner, steps up and, and challenges all the prophets of Baal. Fire comes down. And at the end of the day, they find out Yahweh's God. 450 prophets of Baal are wiped out. King Ahab and Jezebel, who are reigning over Israel, are wicked. Ahab tells Jezebel what Elijah has done. And as a result, Jezebel sends word to Elijah to basically say, I'm going to kill you like you did to these prophets. Elijah, understandably so, is already worn out spiritually, physically, emotionally from having this epic, literally mountaintop experience. Now, to make matters worse, he just battled like demonic forces in a, in a really intense place. And now he finds out that the queen's saying, I'm coming after you to kill you. And Elijah goes on the run, and while he's on the run, he's in the wilderness, and he's under a tree, and he literally tells God, I want to quit. Not just like on my assignment on life. He actually says, I want to die. So this, this mighty prophet finds himself now in suicidal depression because the words of Jezebel have been like poison of fear in his heart. But the Lord comes to him through an angel, and an angel meets him under this tree, and look what it says. Picking up towards the middle of verse 5, it says, An angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. Eat what? He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals in a jar of water. He had to repeat this process again, and then in the end it says he was strengthened by what he ate, and he could continue on his journey for 40 days, 40 nights to the mountain of God at Horeb. Where did this bread come from? I don't think Elijah went to a local supermarket. <laughs> this bread was provided by an angel. This is what we call bread from heaven. Jesus is the true bread from heaven. But what we see is that when this man of God who found himself in depression and every way he was being tormented physically, spiritually, emotionally, when he ate the bread from heaven, something shifted. Something shifted. And he was strengthened. God's remedy for the suicidal prophet was sit, eat, and take this bread. In Psalm 78, many of you know about the Israelites traveling through the wilderness where they were, they were uh, supernaturally provided for by bread from heaven, manna, right? In Psalm 78, 19, it's, it talks about this. It says that the Lord provided a table in the wilderness. So beautiful. But then it says this in verse 24 and 25. It'll be on the screen. Just listen to this. Psalm 78, 24 to 25. It says, He rained down manna for the people to eat. He gave them the grain of heaven. 
Verse 25, he gave them the grain of heaven. Verse 25, human beings ate the bread of angels. He sent them all the food they could eat. That bread that, they, that sustained them in the wilderness was not natural bread. It was the grain of heaven. And when they ate it, they were supernaturally sustained. When they were weary, they found strength. This is the bread of heaven. How did sin and sickness enter into this world? Adam and Eve, right? We know that Romans 5. But what did Adam and Eve actually do? They ate. They ate the wrong thing. They ate the wrong thing. Sin, sickness entered in. What is God calling us to do? Eat Jesus, the right thing. And it actually reverses this. It's an act of faith. Are you guys following me? I know people in my, own, in my own life who, when they go through things, spiritually, physically, emotionally, they prepare a table in their household, and they come by faith, and they take it. And they have sensed the Lord touch them deeply. Jesus said this in John 6, 51. He says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. I am the true bread from heaven. All those, all those things are pictures of me. He says, whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Wow. He is the true bread from heaven. Do you know that, um, can you put on Luke 6.19? I want to read one more, one more scripture with you. Do you know that after Jesus was praying on a mountainside to the Father, he had this, uh, all night he was praying. This is actually where he called his 12 disciples and when he calls them up, he selects them. It's a beautiful scene that he comes down into, the, into a city, and it says everyone's bringing those who have diseases, and everyone's bringing those who are actually bound in demonic possession, and he's touching and healing them all. And this is what it says in, in Luke 6, 19. It says, and the people all tried to touch him. Remember, we're going through a theme of bread of heaven. Jesus says, I'm the true bread of heaven. You eat of me. You touch this bread, you'll live. It says, and all the people tried to touch him. Because power was coming from him and healing them all. When you actually make contact now with the true bread of heaven, Jesus, this is what happens. Healing takes place. There was a woman in the gospel of Luke that says she was bleeding for 12 years. No one could cure her. In fact, she spent all of her resources trying to get better and only got worse. Do you know what she touched on Jesus? She couldn't even touch his body. She just touched the hem of his garment, and she was healed. Yeah. And Jesus is offering us his body today. Yeah. This is why we come by faith and we're saying, we are touching bread from heaven. Lord, I receive your broken body for me by faith. I receive it. I receive it by faith. Do you know that there was a woman in Matthew 15, the Syrophoenician woman, a Canaanite woman outside of the covenant. She comes to Jesus and says, my daughter, my daughter, her daughter needed healing. She said, Lord, please, would you heal my daughter? And Jesus' response was, and, and man, there's so much to this, but he basically says, healing is the children's bread. People for the covenant, you're not even in the covenant. And she says, oh, if I can just get a crumb of that bread, a crumb of that bread, I know that my daughter will be healed. And Jesus says, daughter, I admire your faith. What was that bread? It was healing power flowing from God. She knew if I could just taste a crumb, a crumb, my daughter will be healed. And her daughter was healed. Jesus is not offering us a crumb. We are not on the outside of his covenant. We are covenant people. He is offering bread today, the children's bread. The children's bread. Come on, worship team. Come on up. Children's bread. He's the healer. He's the healer. He's 
bread from heaven. There's an invitation this morning. As we read in John 20, Jesus saying, here's my wounds. Here's my body that was broken for you. I honestly believe my heart, and I'm going to continue to contend because I know around the world, you know, it's funny, we often measure what's going on in America, what God's doing. Be careful with that. (laughs) We see America going in certain ways, and we say, God must be returning soon. Do you know that around the world, you know that we're just a speck in this earth? Do you know that around the world, countries are flourishing, Christianity's flourishing in Iran and China? They are seeing the power of God move. Let's be careful to say, well, we don't really see this happening in America, so I don't know. No, no, no. Around the world, the kingdom of God is moving mightily. Come on. I'm going to ask the the communion team to come forward. We're going to pass out communion this morning. If they could just come stand by the tables for a moment before we pass out. I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask you to hold on to these elements and we're going to partake together. Come on, let's let's just position our hearts right now. Jesus, you are the healer. You bore our griefs. You took on our Kali. And you thoroughly perfectly dealt with it and so right now we come boldly to your table Lord and we come by faith to encounter your body bread from heaven and we stand on your word that your body that was broken for us brings life and so right now I pray for every person in this room Lord, that needs their body to be touched. Holy Spirit, stir faith in their hearts right now. That, Lord, that when we partake of this together, Lord, that they would be touched. Touched in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, the community team's going to pass this out. Just hold on to it together, and we'll partake in just a moment. You are my daily bread. I never have. 
and you keep me fed. Cause you are my daily bread. I never have to beg. Cause you keep me hungry. that are trapped in prisons of fear, hopelessness, depression, condemnation. We look upon your wounds right now. Breathe in us, Jesus. you just to lean in just for a few more minutes here. There are some in this room who have a history right now with doctors and nothing's changing. You're like that woman who's bleeding. So I'm asking everyone as a body that we're coming together right now. We're leaning in for those who need a touch from the Lord, the healer,
one more thing before we partake in this. This is not to make someone a project in here by any means. You stay right where you are. But if you have an ailment that you need prayer for, can you just raise your hand? Something that you've had history with the doctor. Listen, keep your hand raised for a moment. I don't want everyone getting up. But if you are next to someone who has a hand raised, you are within a hand's reach. I want you right now to place a hand on them. And let's begin to pray. Come on, don't wait for me. Let's begin to intercede for one another. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Come on, if we want breakthrough, this is a body we've got to push through. Come on. Jesus. Jesus, right now, every hand lifted, Lord. If your hand is raised, you want to even tell the person next to them. You can tell them what's going on quickly, but we want to pray right now. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, touch every hand that's lifted, Lord. Every hand that's lifted, Lord. I thank you, Jesus, that we can have confidence that you have paid the price for every ligament, for every cell, for every organ, for every tissue. For the diseases that are been declared incurable, but you are the great physician. I thank you, Lord, that testimonies will be birthed from this. I thank you, Lord, that when people go back to doctor visits, Lord, that there will be testimonies, Lord. Lord, could you give us a faith? Rid us of unbelief, God, that even when we say that, something inside of us wants to cringe and say, that's gone too far. But Jesus, all who touched you were healed. So right now, Lord, as we lay hands first, I pray for your supernatural touch to come upon bodies, Lord, to restore bodies physically, spiritually, relationally, emotionally, mentally. Healer, be released by your spirit. 